morning. My name is Dion, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here. Uh, it's an honor to be here with you today. I always love gathering with our, our church family here. I want to welcome those of you who are part of our online family, too. We're glad to have you. Uh, before I dive in today, let me just, let me just again put in a plug for that, that uh, worship survey. Um, I really want all of you to fill it out uh, because we make, we make decisions based on the feedback and the input that, that you can give us. And so we take this very seriously. And often um, there's a certain segment of people who always fill out surveys and a certain segment of people who never fill out surveys. And uh, we want you, if you're one of those people who never fills out surveys, just to take a few minutes, let your voice be heard. It's really, really important to me that you would do that. Um, and I would ask you to do that. I would prefer, of course, that you don't do that while I'm talking. But, you know, hey, I'll, I'll even take that as long as you uh, turn it in at the end. Uh, today we are in week five of our series it is well. And uh, throughout the series, we've been talking about different aspects of wellness. Today, we're talking about one that maybe seems less conventional, but I promise you it is so pivotal to our overall wellness. We're talking about finances and having purposeful finances. Now, I don't know about you in the, in the house that you grew up in and what that was like, and some of you are still in a house growing up, so I don't know what the context or the setting is for how you grew up. But for me growing up, I, I grew up in a house where money didn't mean that much to my parents. They just didn't care about it very much. And so as a result, we lived a pretty simple life. My parents didn't have a lot of debts. They had a mortgage payment, and that was about it. Um, we didn't live a very extravagant or lavish lifestyle. We, we lived pretty simply. And for that, I am so grateful. I, I learned to be content with a few things. My parents are incredibly resourceful people. Um, I, just, I just loved growing up that way. But there were some, there were some challenges to growing up that way. Uh, namely, my dad, he lived as a carpenter because uh, he loved to work with his hands. He's really good. He lived as a carpenter, mostly self-employed throughout his working life. And so that meant that work was sometimes erratic and, uh, and there wasn't a lot of income coming into our house. On top of that, my mom, when I was about five years old, I respect this so much, she decided that she wanted to get a college education. She had never been. And so she went to college and uh, worked through that while being a mom of three. And uh, so she did that and she got a teaching degree and later uh, became a teacher. It took a while for her career to get started, though. So... For me and my house, uh, there were plenty of times where you'd go to the pantry and it was, it was, it was really empty. Or there were shut-off notices that we would get for utilities, and sometimes our utilities would actually be shut off. I remember a couple of vivid encounters as a kid um, where, where there was talk of foreclosure on our house, and, and that was really scary for me. See, I was way too aware as a kid of what was going on in our house, and uh, you know that, 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 made challenge, that made it a challenge for me sometimes. Um, and so while my parents grew up, um, not really caring that much about money, I started to grow up caring a lot about money because I realized I did not want to live this way forever. I didn't want to live with the stress and the worry that I experienced as a child for the rest of my life. And it's something I still battle. My parents did an awesome job, and uh, I respect them so much, but it's something that I still battle today. Now, maybe you can relate with that. Maybe, maybe even my upbringing sounds something like yours. Or maybe your upbringing was altogether different. I don't know, only you do. But here's what I can say, that regardless of how we were brought up, so many of us still worry a lot about money. I mean, if, if you're listening in this presidential election year to both sides of the aisle, there is a lot of talk about our economy and our shrinking middle class and how it's getting harder for people to achieve the American dream, how, how staying in a home and paying for your kid's college and retiring well is becoming more and more challenging for people. And, and everyone's concerned about it. Everybody's worried about our financial well-being. But this is not just, I hope you know this, this is not just a, a middle-class problem, worry about money. This is something that pervades people in every class. In fact, a UBS, the big financial firm, they did a survey in 2015 of millionaires 
of people with a net worth of somewhere between one and five million dollars. Uh, and in that survey, they discovered something fascinating. They discovered that 50%, about half of those people, um, believe that one wrong move could jeopardize it all. And so we're talking about people who've got a net worth of one to five million dollars. And, and half of them live with a worry, a fear that a loss of a job, a bad investment, you know, some, some mistake they make could cause them to lose it all. Uh, when, when you're talking about those millionaires who've got kids at home, the number jumps to 63%. Now again, we're talking about millionaires here. Even millionaires worry when it comes to money. I'm reminded of the story Hetty Green. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. Uh, Hetty Green, she lived back in the 1800s into the early 1900s. Um, in about 1864, she inherited $7.5 million from her parents. Her parents were Quaker whaling tycoons. You didn't know such a thing existed, right? But whaling was a big industry. Her parents were Quaker whaling tycoons. Uh, that was their, their religion. They were Quakers. They left uh, $7.5 million. And we're talking 1864, I think the year was, dollars. I mean, this is a huge sum of money. They left it to Hetty. Well, Hetty turned out to be a savvy businesswoman. She, she was really a savvy investor. And so she grew that investment significantly. I'll, I'll tell you just how big it got in a minute. But Hetty is not known only for her shrewd business practices. She's also noticed, known because she lived a compulsively cheap lifestyle. This woman was a miser if there ever was one. So for starters, she, she wore every day the same black dress. Uh, she got this name because of it. Her nickname was the Witch of Wall Street. Because she walked around in this, this black dress and black hat. They said that her dress, someone once commented that her dress must have been made from some indestructible fabric. Because she wore it every day, every day the same dress. Not only that, uh, it said that Hetty didn't use any heat in her house. She refused to use even hot water because she didn't want to spend the money on it. There's a story that of, of her searching all night for a two-cent stamp that she had misplaced in her life. Uh, it said that Hetty was so averse to any kind of debt or paying for anything that, um, that, that she refused to take her son to a doctor when he had an injury to his leg and it caused him to lose his leg. Now, have I told you the story about how I let my daughter go five days with a broken arm without any medical attention? Have I told you that story? Okay, I'm not, I'm not telling you that story. But in my defense, we are on a high deductible plan, and there's an HSA, and, you know, daddy of the year right here, aren't I? Um, but we're talking about this wealthy woman, wouldn't take her son to the doctor. But when she died in 1916, she died with $200 million in 1916 dollars. So if, if you roll that forward into modern, uh, modern you know, dollar figures, she still has to be one of the richest women in all of history. $200 million, of which I'm sure her kids promptly spent all on therapy <laughs> for growing up with a mother like this, right? Because this isn't normal behavior. A woman with such vast fortune to live so, so, uh, so fearfully with so much worry. See, I think for a lot of us, we believe that living with, with a, a bad relationship with money and possessions is just how it's going to be forever. That money's always going to stress us out, it's always going to make us worried, and there is no other alternative. But maybe that's not right. You know, maybe it doesn't have to be this way. Maybe we're just doing it wrong. Today, um, we're, we're going to look at a teaching of Jesus on the subject of money and possessions, where he tells us how to do it differently. And I believe this teaching is so important. Um, but here's what you also need to know, that Jesus taught more about money than he did any other, what I'd call a real-life issue. 
Because for Jesus, money wasn't just a real-life issue. It was, it was something that was intimately connected to everything else. And, and we know this is true, right? Our, our, our money affects our physical health. It affects our minds. It affects our relationships, right? I mean, the number one thing that, that couples, that married couples fight about is still what? Money. I mean, how many of you personally, either in your own life, have experienced this? Or how many of you personally know of a relationship that has been broken because of money, stress over money, fight over money, right? I mean, a lot of us do. I mean, it's hugely connected to everything. And what Jesus will talk about today is is how money's not only connected to our relationships, but it's ultimately connected to our relationship with God. It's connected to our spiritual relationship with God. But but through this teaching, if we listen to it, Jesus is going to show us how we can put money and possessions in their rightful place so they're no longer such a source of stress and worry in our lives. See, I think we can all benefit from this, no matter how much money we have. Because whether you grew up like me or whether you're, you know, a heady with $200 million, it's something that we all wrestle with in our lives. And so today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6. Um, we're going to look at a section where Jesus is, is, is teaching people. It's called the Sermon on, Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount. And through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching about all different kinds of things. Uh, and he's going to teach a little bit about our money and our possessions. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. Right after he teaches on money and possessions in this short section, then he goes on and he begins to teach about worry. And I don't think it's any accident that he talks about money and possessions, and then he goes right into a teaching about worry. Now, we're gonna, not going to look at the teaching on worry today. Um, we're just going to stay with the money and possessions. But I think that's powerful. I think that's important. I think it's an indicator of how transformative this can be. So Matthew 6, starting at verse 19, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus talks about treasure. He talks about thieves. He talks about moths. He talks about um, rust. He talks about rats. You know, all of our favorite things, all in one teaching, right? Um, But what is he actually saying in this whole talk? He says, you know, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth, but instead store up for yourselves treasures in heaven for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, Jesus is beginning to teach us what it looks like to live free from worry when it comes to our money and our possessions. And he gives us some very specific advice. The first piece of it is this. The first piece of advice that Jesus gives is that we have to change what you treasure. You have to change what you treasure, right? Don't store up for yourself treasure on earth. Instead, think about treasure in heaven. You have to change what you treasure. Now, now right now, I want you to do something, okay? And I want you to do this honestly. I want you to think about what it is that you treasure in life. What, what is it that you treasure? Now, don't give me your church answer, because I know you're in church, and you've got your church answer, right? That, the answer that you think that you should say. Um, I'm not going to ask you to answer this out loud. You don't owe me an honest answer. You don't owe the people sitting next to you an honest answer. But you do owe yourself an honest answer to this question. So what is it in your life that you treasure? For some of you, it's cars, you know, old cars, new cars, whatever. For some of you, it's a nice or comfortable home. For some of you, it's, it's adventures, It's vacations, it's trips. For some of you, it's investment accounts. Since we're here in West St. Louis County, for some of you, it's your your sidearm, it's your peace, right? That's what you treasure. Uh, For some of you, it's your family. For some of you, it's your pets. 
Now, I'll tell you, we are about six weeks into this puppy thing, and that's not us yet. <laughs> we like her, but I wouldn't say we treasure her yet. What is it for you? What is it that you treasure? Now, after you think of a thing or a few things that, that you treasure, here's what I want you to do. If whatever you thought of, here's, here's a test for you. If whatever you thought of is something that can be stolen, if someone can take it from you, uh, if it can get broken or, or dented or wrecked, if there could be a big sell-off in the markets and you could lose that thing, or even if, if that thing has, has the potential to walk away from you, if it could someday choose to leave you, then chances are, chances are, you're doing exactly what Jesus said not to do. You're storing up for yourself treasures on earth. Now hear me on this. There's, there's nothing wrong with those things. Those aren't necessarily bad things. And you're not a horrible, awful, rotten person if you treasure some of those things. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not casting judgment on you for treasuring those things. That's not the point. This isn't about some, you know, high-minded moral stuff. No, this is really practical. This is really pragmatic. See, what Jesus is saying is, is, is something so simple. But he says, but if you treasure things that you can lose, if you treasure those things that you can lose, right? If you treasure things that can be stolen, that can be lost, that can be dented, that, that can, uh, you know, walk away. If you treasure things you can lose, then you'll always be worried that you will. Right? Doesn't that make sense? If you treasure stuff on earth that can be lost then there will always be this struggle in your life, this worry that you are going to lose it. See, see, Jesus is saying, you can't treasure earthly things and expect not to worry. It just, it just doesn't happen. And again, there's no judgment here. It's just good advice. You, you can't treasure uh, earthly things and not be worried. And so if you want to remove worry from your life, Jesus says, the first thing you need to do is you need to change what it is that you treasure. You need to start treasuring other stuff. Treasure things that are in heaven. Now, we'll talk about that in a minute, but treasure things that can't be lost, that can't be stolen, that, that can't walk away. Treasure things that will last forever. Treasure things that, uh, that, that are eternal. So the first step is change what you treasure. There's an intentional decision that says, I think I value stuff that can get taken from me too much. I'd rather treasure something that's lasting. That's the first thing Jesus says. And then the second thing is this, actively invest your wealth there. Right? Change what you treasure and then actively invest your wealth there. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where, where stuff can take it away or destroy it. Instead, store up for yourselves, actively invest, store up your wealth in treasures in heaven. Now, what does this look like? I mean, this treasures in heaven idea, it's kind of vague. How do you wire money ahead of you to heaven? Uh, specifically, I want to share with you a few things that, that you might consider investing in specifically, things that last forever. How about relationships? I mean, you realize this, relationships, they last forever. They can. The greatest consolation I, I can give someone at a funeral service when the uh, deceased knows Christ, is, hey, this doesn't have to be the end for you. This relationship is not eternally severed. You can be reunited. I mean, how, how powerful is that? That relationships can go on forever. So relationships are not temporary. They're not eternal. They can't be taken away. Even if death separates you, God has made a way for those things to go on forever. So, so the key then is to invest your wealth there. 
right? Not in stuff, but in relationships. See, I I think so often we don't invest our wealth where we say our treasures are. We say, hey, I treasure this, but if we looked at what we actually put, where we actually put our money, those things don't line up. And so Jesus says, change what you treasure and then invest your wealth there. Invest in relationships. Put your wealth there because that pays eternal dividends for you and and for the people you're investing in. Or uh, transformational experiences. See, I'm a fan of this. I'm a fan of investing in experiences rather than things. And uh, for a long time, I used, to, I used to fall victim to a thinking that I think a lot of us do. I used to think, well, you could go on vacation and you could spend all that money and have nothing to show for it. Or you could take that money and you could, you know, do something nice in your house or, or you could buy, uh, you know, a new TV or you could buy something that you would enjoy for a much longer time. But the reality is that's not how things work. When you invest in experiences, tell me this isn't true. Experiences can last forever. They stay with you. Great experiences, you remember those for the rest of your life and they bring you joy. Bad experiences, they do the same except they bring you pain, right? So so invest in experiences. Now I added a word here, transformational experiences. See, one of the other things that will last forever is your character. The investments that you make now in your character. I, I firmly believe as I read through Matthew 5 through 7, this whole teaching from Jesus, he talks again and again how if, if we can refine our character, if, if we can learn to tune our appetites away from things that are passing away toward the things of God, if we can learn to long for things that are eternal, if we can begin to treasure those things, then we will have a richer experience in eternity. You middle schoolers hear me on this? I mean, because you're young, you, you can still do this. You're not fighting against bad behavior like some of us who are older. Uh, if, if you do this now, if you begin to treasure and value and hunger and thirst for things that are things that will live forever, that will go on forever, your experience in eternity will be richer than those who don't. And so that's why I say invest in transformational experiences. Invest in experiences that will transform your character. For some of us, that might be Christian education. You know, I'm a fan of it. Uh, for some of you, maybe investing in a mission trip. I mean, mission trips will change your life. They transform you. And that transformation goes on forever. The third thing I want to talk about is spreading the gospel. Now, you can do this personally. I, I, I hope you're sharing um, Jesus with people. At very least, I hope you're in the regular practice of inviting people to church with you. Because there is hope here. There is goodness here that everyone needs. Um, but, but again, invest your wealth there. If you think that matters, invest your welfare. Give to your church. And if you think that sounds self-serving, give to another church. I don't care. Just give to the cause of the gospel. Not just because those of us who are, who are you know, on the front lines of it need it, but, but because you need it. Because the work of the gospel will last forever. And as you begin to invest it in it, as, as you begin to put your wealth there, things will start to happen in your heart. See, just in the last service, um, we baptized Four kids, all in one family, you know, from age probably like 14 down to 15 months. Uh, and it was so moving watching all of these four kids we baptized together. Um, and, you know, as, as, as we're sitting here watching that, I think we're all like, wow, that's, that's really great. That's really beautiful. That's inspiring. You know, for me, when that happens, I feel something so much greater than, wow, isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that inspiring? For me, that is personal rewarding, personally rewarding. And you want to know why? Because I'm invested not with just with my blood, sweat, and tears, but also with my, my finances. My wealth is invested there. And so when I see that happen, I'm just going to like, wow, this is amazing. Like, this is rewarding for me. This matters to me because that's where my treasure's been placed in the transformation of people's lives. 
There's a joy that fills my heart when that happens. There's a richness that I get from that that I don't get from many other things in life. Uh, in our getting started orientations, we hear a story every month from a family who's, who says basically this. We, we've never been to church or we've never been to a church where, where it's been like this, where we have understood what it means to be in a relationship with God. We've heard that phrase, but we've never understood what that actually means. And now we get it. And I hear that and I just go, wow, that's wonderful. But, but more than that, it's so rewarding for me. Again, why? Because I'm investing. I'm investing there. And I know that what's happening in those people's lives, it will last forever. And not only that, but there's something changing in my heart that's good that will last forever. And then finally, the needs of others. Uh, the needs of others. Jesus actually talked at the beginning of Matthew 6. And uh, he says, it's, it's really bizarre, but he says, if you give to the needy, you know, people that, that have needs around you, if you give to those who can't pay you back, and you don't do it in order to brag or to show off, but if you just do it because it's the right thing to do, Jesus says this. He says, then my Father in heaven will reward you. That's a way you can store up for yourself treasures in heaven, by meeting the needs of people in the here and now who can't pay you back. In fact, Jesus is going to talk more about this very issue of giving to the needs of others and why it's important in the next verses. So um, Jesus said, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Do it in heaven for your treasures there your heart will be. Um, and, and, then, and then he starts talking this way. Look at the next verse. He gets into this other metaphor. It's kind of confusing, but in a second it'll make sense. He says, now the eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Now the word healthy here can literally be translated whole. I mean, it, the word is whole. So I love that. We're talking about health. We're talking about wholeness. But this is not talking about your ability to read an eye chart, right? Uh, what's Jesus talking about here? Well, let me explain it this way. Think about all of the, all of the strife all of the disease, all of the dysfunction that comes into our life through our eyes. Right? Think about how an extramarital affair begins with a lingering look. Uh, in our day, there's a real problem. There's an epidemic in our society with pornography. And I think for a lot of us, um, we just kind of have this rationalization that it's only looking nothing wrong with it. It's only looking. And yet, and yet they're starting to do medical studies. There's a group right now studying the physiological effects of pornography. It affects your relationships. It affects your body. It affects your heart. It affects your mind. It affects everything. It is corrosive. But where does it start? With the eyes. You all know what this is like when you're pretty content with life, but then you look at your Instagram feed and you see someone else's vacation and immediately you're just wrecked by it. Your day is wrecked. Right? It starts with your eyes. It's really insightful, even if this metaphor is a little confusing to you, that, that health, health begins with the eyes. So insightful. Uh, recently, I, I encountered some of this in my own life. I started to notice some good things happening. I started to notice that, uh, that, that I'm becoming less attached to worldly things. I was, I'm becoming less desirous, less you know, like wanting stuff I can't have. And, and, uh, and I started to wonder, like, why is that? Why am I so much more content now in life? I, I don't want all the things that I used to want. What's going on? And, and I came up with an answer. It's a bad answer. It wasn't the right answer, but it was my answer for a little while. I thought, I thought oh, I, I think I know why. It's because I'm the senior pastor now. <laughs> Must be the reason. I'm getting all holy and mature now. I'm just not going to struggle with things anymore. Well, I found out that wasn't the reason. Um, the real reason is actually because I'm cheap. 
uh, which I'll explain to you why that's important. Because uh, here, here's the thing, in my family, we won't pay for cable or UVerse or anything. We, we don't have it. So if we want to watch TV, it's on the you know, antenna over here, HD, or it's Netflix. And the benefit of that, and my apologies to those of you who make your living in marketing, but the benefit of that is we never watch commercials because we never watch live TV. And I started to realize that, that my eyes have gotten healthier because I'm not watching these commercials that plant in me the desire for more things. And, and so my life has gotten healthier. Now, how do I know? Because I started watching football during football season, and I started watching all the commercials, and it all came back. And I was like, oh, shoot, I'm not all holy and mature. I guess the senior pastor thing is not all it's cracked up to be. Um, but it's the eyes, right? So insightful. Now, let me show you this. Um, in Greek, it's not only about healthy or wholeness, that, that this idea of healthy eyes literally has the connotation of being generous. Now, we just had a, con- a team come back from Cambodia um, last week, and we've taken several teams there over the last five and a half years. I've been there a few times. I'm really hoping to go there next year. Um, you're all invited to come with me. I'd love to have you. Um, yes, Jocelyn, this is me asking for permission to go to Cambodia next year because um, it's, uh, it's transformational. One of the things that's transformational about that experience are the things that you see. You just can't unsee the things that you see there. And there are some beautiful things that you see. There are also some challenging things that you see, some things that just rip your heart out and you can't unsee them. And almost to a person, everyone I know who has gone there or has gone on another mission trip to a place like that, Uh, One of the things that happens is when they come home after seeing the things that they've seen, they're prompted to want to live a more generous life. So again, this makes sense to me that healthy eyes lead to generosity. Now, on the converse, Jesus says in the next verse, he says, but if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So if your eyes are unhealthy, if you look around the world and you see the needs of people, because that's what we're talking about here, you see people in need and your response is cynical. And you think, hey, you know, you're a bum. You need to work hard for your stuff. You're just not trying. Or you think, those are just people who want to get my stuff. Those are people who want to take what's mine. Those are people who want my treasure, my treasure, my precious. Right? We know where that leads, don't we? We know where that leads. Jesus says, if if your eyes get unhealthy, if your eyes become stingy, your whole body will be filled with disease. See, again, this, this is so powerful and it's so simple. But it's so hard to do. When you begin to change what you treasure, and when you begin to actively invest your wealth in the things that you say matter to you, then all of life begins to change. But namely, things like worry and stress, they begin to uh, to just disappear. Now, here's what I know. I know a lot of you are threatened. Uh, Some people didn't even come to church today when they saw we were talking about finances. I'm not going to lie. And and maybe you would have made that decision had you looked ahead and known. And that's okay. See, I think a lot of us are deeply threatened when it comes to the issue of money. And I know for some of you, maybe for a lot of you, I sound like I'm I'm just talking crazy talk today. Well, let me just sound a little crazier for a minute. See, I think one of the reasons this is such a threatening issue for us, the reason we put up so many defenses, is because there are spiritual forces at work in our lives trying to keep us from doing these things that Jesus has, has invited us to do. There's spiritual forces that are trying to keep us victim, keep us enslaved to worry and stress and dread. Now, again, I, that may sound crazy to you, but I want you to see what Jesus says, the very next verse. So he's talked about treasure in heaven, not on earth. He's talk, got, talked about the eyes. Now he says this, no one can serve two masters. 
Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, I think for a lot of us, this seems ridiculous. I mean, you would never talk about serving money in the same way that you serve God, right? I mean, that's just crazy. When you think about serving God or worshiping God, like, you'd never worship money in that way, would you? Jesus says, yeah. He said, herein lies the problem, that, that our money, our possessions, things that were given by God to us to be a blessing to us, somehow things get all twisted up, and those things become our masters. They start to own us. And so I'm telling you, there are spiritual forces at work trying to keep you enslaved to other masters. And as long as you stay there, as long as you stay enslaved to those things, as long as you work for money and for your possessions, then worry and stress and broken relationships and disease will be a part of your life. See, but Jesus came into the world so that you could be free. Do you know that? And so, so spiritual forces may sound crazy to you, but do you realize that Jesus came when he gave his life on a cross? He was, he was defeating every power, every authority, every spiritual force that could come against you. He was setting you free from that. Do you know that? He truly was. Jesus d- doesn't want anything from you. Now, I, I know some of our defensiveness is, well, well, well man, if, if I lived this way, if I did this, I'd be so much empty. I'd be less happy. That's not true. Jesus poured out his life for you. He gave everything for you for your benefit. Not for his. This isn't about what God gets from you. This is what about what God wants to give to you. Do you get that? And so God wants you to be free. He wants your possessions to become blessings to you again. He doesn't want you to live in worry and stress and dread. He wants to set you free from the mastery of money and possessions over your life. And he can. And see, what happens when you begin to do these things, when you begin to, to change what you treasure... And, 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 you know, some of you just need to do that. You just need to ask Jesus to help your heart change. Because there are forces that are not allowing you. And you need to say, Jesus, please come into my life and help me care about these things less because they matter too much to me. I want to I care about things that will last forever. Help me. Change my heart. And, and then some of you need to pray for courage to say, Jesus, help me get a plan together. Help me have courage to begin to actively invest my wealth in the things that I treasure rather than investing them wherever they're currently going. And he'll help you because he loves you and he wants you to be free. Can you believe that today? The one who gave his life for you, that he wants to help you with this too? And see, when Jesus comes into your life and he begins to do that, he begins to win the spiritual battle over money in your life, then some amazing things begin to happen. And, uh, you know, I, I'm about 10 years or so, maybe 12 years into this, and, uh, and it's still exciting to me. I'm, I'm at the very beginning, but, but it's still exciting to me. You know what will happen to you as Jesus begins to work in your life in this way? Uh, when you get your tax return and you see how much money you're getting back and you're all excited about your tax return, the joy you feel in that moment will pale in comparison to the joy you feel when you look at your contribution statement to your church or to the charities that you support. I'm not kidding. When you start to do this, when Jesus starts to work in your life, in this way, you'll start to give more and you'll want for less. You'll have a satisfaction that you've never had before, that you've never found in a purchase, I promise you. You'll really start to treasure different things. Your heart will change. And of course, all the worry and the stress that are, that are a part of your life now, they'll begin to start to melt away. And material things in your life, this is, I think, the best part, the material things in your life, they will again become blessings to you when they're no longer living or, 
or functioning as your master's. See, again, when you change what you treasure and when you actively invest your wealth there, things will change in your life for the better. Trust Jesus. Now, now here's what I want to say, because some of you are fired up today. You're excited. You, you want to do this. And, uh, you know, you're going to go out and you're going to try to live differently and, and you're going to be asking Jesus to do these, these things in your heart. But then here's what's going to happen to you this week. I'm just predicting it because this is a, this is a spiritual battle and uh, the evil one is crafty. Um, this week you're going to be sitting at a stoplight. And as you sit at that stoplight, you're going to look over and the person next to you is going to pull up in your dream car. The car that you've always wanted and you're going to look over and, and you're going to look at that person and you're going to, you're going to genuinely, genuinely believe that he or she is so much happier than you are. And you're going to look over at them and you're going to think, man, that's the life. Or this week you're going to drive into someone else's neighborhood and you're going to look at all the beautiful homes there. And you're going to think about the people in those houses and how happy they are living there. And, and you're going to think, man, that's really living This is the life. In those moments, here's what I'm going to invite you to do. First, remember that all of that stuff, and and again, I don't think there's anything wrong with that stuff. That stuff can be a blessing, but in all of that stuff, remember, all of that stuff, that is treasure that is going to pass away. And in a moment, all of that could be lost. And so as a result, there's a lot of worry and stress that also lives there in all of those material blessings. There are. Remember that. But here's what I really want you to remember. That, that when you change what you treasure, when you treasure things that last forever, when, when, when your heart begins to desire those things more and when God does that for you, when you begin to actively invest your wealth there then in things that last forever, that's the life. That's living. It'll bring joy and meaning into your life now that goes on literally forever. And so this week, as as you face those stoplight moments or those neighborhood moments, remember what you've heard today. Remember that Jesus, the one who gave his life for you, he wants to give you a different way of living. He wants to set you free. In fact, I want to pray for those moments right now. Father in heaven.